This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a podcast from Joy's jazz show, Bent Notes. Tune in live each Sunday night at joy.org.au. Our special guest on Bent Notes is a legendary Australian pianist, composer, arranger and a conductor who has worked across so many avenues of performance and education. Paul Grabowski AO, to give him his full title, has been such an important component of the arts in Australia for many years and has contributed significantly to our musical development and heritage. With his work on television scores, over 20 feature films, works for theatre including four operas and establishing the Australian Art Opera, uh, Art Orchestra I should say, and much, much more. And of course he continues to compose. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to the Bent Notes studio, Paul Grabowski. Welcome Paul. It's great to be here David, thank you for having me. It's been a little while, I think it was 2019 I think we might have had you in last. That sounds about right. Yeah, it sort of fits in with what's happened in the world in that time as well. <laughs> yeah, something in the middle there, wasn't there? There was a bit. <laughs> Paul, such a list of achievements, including many awards as well. When you look back at yourself as a young man, starting out on your musical career, what were your dreams and objectives relating to the career? Were they along similar lines to what you've achieved? That's a great question. No, I don't think so, David. I think that when I started, I was very firmly in love with, well, let's call it the American jazz tradition, you know. All of my heroes in the music were American artists, and I couldn't really conceive in my mind of a music outside of that paradigm at that you know I mean we're talking about my early 20s I guess I went to live in Germany uh, for several years and during that time my my understanding of what I was doing changed I started to think about what being from Australia might mean in terms of the music you know what what effect might that have on what I do where does my understanding of jazz even sit within the that that you know Australian cultural context. What is what is the word? How does the word resonate in that world? And I didn't have any immediate answers to that, but I did come back to Australia in '86. I, I went to Germany in '80. So in those years, uh, I played with a lot of different people. I got in, introduced to a lot of different sorts of music. I started to do my first uh, cross-cultural collaborations. I, I worked in a in a band led by a Serbian drummer, and we did a fusion of, of Southeast European folk music and, and jazz. And I think all of these things were very formative for me. And when I came back, there was much more of a scene of modern jazz music in Melbourne than there had been when I left. So largely centred around Vince Jones, really. Oh, really? I mean, Vince played an incredibly important role in becoming a way that a new generation could understand, just have a doorway into what jazz might possibly mean. And, of course, he did it in the most powerful way, which is as a singer. Yes. And as a magnificent singer, not just a singer. Mm. He really was the very highest kind of aspirant for all of that kind of um, that vision of, of the music. So th what that meant is that in his wake 
came a whole lot of really talented players and I realised that there was a really interesting scene developing here and that it might be possible to make something new. And that's when things started to really evolve for me around that time. So (laughs) it's a long way of answering the question. No, I didn't understand where it was all going to go. But, you know, a few years on, I started to form a view about that. And that view has carried you through. Well, you know, once I settled on what that view might be, yes, uh, I've stuck with it. I have a, a philosophy about the music and a certain belief around that. And, yeah, I still believe it. You have done a range of activities in terms of your musical skill set. Do you have a secret to having success in each of those various areas? Because you have been successful in so many different areas. Well, uh, David, I think it it relates to your last question. I think that you have to be clear about what your intentions are and all of the ethics that surround those things and try and remain true to those values. Uh, Unless, for some reason, you're proven to be wrong about something. You know, I mean, you've got to be prepared to change along the way. You can't be dogged and dogmatic about it. But, you know, I've come to a view that the music, the musical philosophy that I employ is what I call relativism. So, or no, actually, that's not the right word. That's a highly contested word. Relational music. I I believe that all of the aspects of music exist in relation to other aspects of music and that it's very important to look at any one quality of the music in relation to those things and see the whole thing as a set of interrelationship. That's a kind of a, you know, maybe slightly abstract way of talking about it, but your listeners will totally understand, I hope. Well, certainly relationships just mean there's a link between the various aspects, and it doesn't matter, I suppose, whether that relationship is within a version of jazz to another version of jazz to another version of jazz to classical. Well, that's pretty much right. It's where one thing exists in relation to the other. So the meaning of anything that you do can be understood in its relationship to the rest of the things that are going on around it or that it's contingent on or that it's influencing. We'll have a little bit of a further discussion about these relationships very shortly about something specific Ah. to do with classics. (laughs) Our guest on Bent Notes is pianist, composer, arranger and conductor Paul Grabowski, AO. You are listening to Joy 94.9. You are listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Find more podcasts and show blogs at joy.org.au. If it's tired, boring music you're looking for, you've come to the wrong station. Joy 94.9. On Joy 94.9, you are listening to Bent Notes, where our guest is pianist, composer, arranger and conductor, Paul Grabowski, AO, who loves being told that we've come to the right place for the non-boring music. Here on Joy. I do, David. Always great to be here on Joy. Always have a good time here. Paul, Torrio is performing with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra two weeks' time, Mm. and Torrio is your trio. Would you call it a jazz trio? Yes, I think so. What strikes me is this is a jazz trio performing with a symphony orchestra. Mm. It's a work, however, that you have composed. So I assume there is a relationship there between Torrio and the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, more classical approach to Mm. things. 
has Torrio changed to play more seriously in this scope or has the MSO decided to change that serious-looking overcoat that they wear? Well, I think both and neither things are true. Torrio is made up of three very multi-skilled people. Nico Schäubler is the drummer, percussionist. He's also uh, a great composer of all sorts of music, including orchestral music. And, you know, he's a, a record producer and engineer. Mirko Guerini, who is the, the saxophonist in the band, but he also plays various kinds of flutes, flutes that come from various different folk traditions. And he's also a great composer and a multi-instrumentalist. Quite aside from the flutes and everything, he plays great piano. And These are very skilled musicians, wise musicians. And I guess the way we play reflects the experiences that we've all had as people. And I think a common belief that, you know, we're not hanging our hats on a particular way of playing, but rather we like to improvise which means that we draw on whatever musical materials we have at our disposal. Certainly the jazz tradition is the kind of the way we've learned how to do that. But I think that, you know, one of the great things about jazz is that you don't have to play certain notes in a certain way to necessarily be playing jazz that's acceptable to, you know, according to a certain definition of that word. I think it the music exists way beyond that. And I think it's been the case for a long, long time, actually. I mean, there's a certain way of looking at it, but I think Torrio, we like to look outside of that. So in writing a piece for that with the symphony orchestra, I'm bringing the world of our music into a dialogue with the orchestra. And I've been the composer in residence for the MSO over the last few years. So I've had quite a bit to do with the orchestra. And look, I've had a fair bit to do with orchestras over the years anyway, writing music for film and so on. And a lot of that has been to do with the MSO. So I know the history of that organisation during my lifetime, starting with going to see them play when I was a child and you know just growing, growing up through that. And now... Going back to what I said earlier, testing all of my ideas around relationality in music in a symphony orchestra context with First Nations performers and now with with jazz, you know. So, yeah, I've written this piece, right? <laughs> you, you have, and I love the name, Fascinating Algorithm. Yeah. What does it mean? Well, obviously it's a little bit of a joke based on the title of a very famous song called Fascinating Rhythm, which is a Gershwin tune. And, you know, we live in the world dominated now by the algorithm. Oh, we certainly do. We do, in ways that are kind of terrifying, you know, uh, kind of exhilarating, but I'm not sure between those two poles where to steer. You know, there's, not, there's nothing more profound in the, in the material of the piece that suggests that, you know, I'm grappling with something about algorithms. But... Um, you know, I work a lot with them because I write music on computer or I use computers a lot when I'm writing music. And computers allow you to do things, try things out, particularly rhythmic things that are kind of challenging to realise in, in a live situation. And I've thrown a few of these things into the piece. 
Not that there's anything in the piece which most of those musicians wouldn't have seen in some kind of a way before. It's not unplayable, you know. It's not designed to make them fearful of what, what's going or, or, or hate it. But nice to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is... Um, I described it the other day to somebody as a bit of a three-ring circus. It is, it's got serious aspects to it, but it's also got a great deal of joy in it. But also, I would describe as a quite controlled chaos. Oh, it's a sort of a, a thread that runs through it. I guess if, if the fascinating algorithm is alive as a, an idea in the work, it's in this chaotic sort of skein that, that goes through the weave. That's an interesting description. I love that. The you algorithm- can use it if you like, David. It's, it's, it's available. I, I might even do that. I'll put you know? it in the public domain immediately. Thank you very much, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so that, the, the music that you've written allows all the musicians to essentially work together and utilise the the concepts that you've put into the base of the music to create something that is enjoyable. Well, look, absolutely. That's, that's, that's the, the hope for the end result. I always try and write to people's strengths. So I haven't written for the orchestra to improvise. Everything that they play is fully and quite, you know, determinedly notated. Do this. Because that's what they like doing, essentially. And that's what they're trained to do. And and we love them for it. It's beautiful. Whereas the band, I mean, we live to improvise. So I've tried to create a kind of a work in which what we do is alive and well. But because of our collective understanding of different sorts of musical mayhem, there's various ways in which we interface with what the orchestra is doing and various ways in which they interface with what we're doing. I was actually dying to ask that question. I was, I was thinking, is it possible for a symphony orchestra to imp- improvise? Because we're going back to jazz's ability to, you know, that, that's the great thing about jazz. It's, mm. it's a lot of improvisation. There. Is, is a symphony orchestra able to do that? Well, yeah, there yeah, are ways of doing it. I mean, it, it's, it needs to be, you know, within parameters. I mean, most jazz music is improvised within very structured parameters to a greater or lesser extent. Even in the most sort of so-called free music, the basic structural premise is that people are there to be completely relational, mostly in what they do according to what's going on around them, you know, that, that the decisions that they make in improvising are informed by what the other improvising musicians are also doing. So you're making something together in real time. In a symphony orchestra, there needs to be some kind of structure and you can use improvisation, uh, and composers have been doing it for quite a long time, actually. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic concept because your work is one of, I think it's four in total, and the way that the MSO have written them up, there's a bit of humour and difference in those other pieces that they've chosen too. You know, the great thing is, for me personally, that there are two works by Charles Ives on the program, and Charles Ives was... I mean, if the listeners know who Percy Granger was in relation to Australian music, I guess Charles Ives, in a way, was a kind of American version of of that. He wrote extraordinarily out there music, but not in a sort of abstract way that you can't follow anything that's going on. 
what he did was he tried to really create the sense of being alive to all of the world of sound around you in his music. So, for example, he wrote a piece where he was imagining, as would happen, that on the 4th of July, three brass bands might approach the middle of a town square from different directions, all playing different tunes at different tempos in different keys. Oh, that'd be wonderful to be participating in. Well, he figured out how to notate that in a way that a symphony orchestra can actually realise it. In doing that, in setting himself those challenges, he kind of painted himself into a bit of a corner in terms of you know the, what most people expected from a symphony orchestra. But now, of course, we recognise that Charles Ives was one of the towering geniuses of... And he was born in 1874, mind you, and died in the 50s. He was really represented something which was very American, had great respect for the European tradition, but unashamedly spoke to the American vernacular and what he wrote. That's a great inspiration for me. I think the piece that I've written is a bit of an homage to Ives. Then there's a John Adams piece, another great composer. In fact, just on Friday night, I was at the London Symphony Orchestra concert at Hamer Hall, and they played a wonderful John Adams work. And then, of course, the unusual piece in the context of this concert, well, it might seem unusual, but it's a symphony by Haydn, so it's an 18th century work. But, you know, I understand why uh, you would choose a Haydn symphony if you wanted to play a piece of repertoire, because, again, he was a guy who, back in that time, brought a lot of folk music elements into his work and was a was a quite radical reformer of musical structure and also had a huge sense of humour in his music, you know, which you don't often think about when you think about the 18th century. Were they hilarious funsters? Probably not so much, but... Uh, they had fun with what they did. Well, he did. Yeah. He did. We seem to have done a bit of a circle there, Paul, by talking about Ives being a little bit American traditional because that's where we started our conversation with your early early thoughts about where your career was headed. (laughs) So I reckon that's a beautiful time to draw our conversation to a close. Thank you. The performance with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra with Torio is happening twice on Thursday, May the 18th at the Melbourne Recital Centre and on Friday, May the 19th at the Robert Blackwood Hall. More information about... At Monash University. At Monash University, yes. About both performances of Jazz in Contrast. Yes. What a great title. Yeah. From mso.com.au, that website's got all the information there. Great to see. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, David. It's been great to be here talking to you. It has been lovely to have you here in studio, and we look forward to hearing more from you as uh, the year progresses. Our guest on Bent Notes has been pianist, composer, arranger, conductor, Professor Paul Grabowski, AO. You are listening to Joy, 94.9. You've been listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Join us live each Sunday night on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.